0: Georgia's DBHDD reminds people that the Good Samaritan Law can save lives during alcohol and drug overdoses. People are urged to call 911 and stay until help arrives. More information at opioidresponse.info.
1: I have to say I've been looking forward to today's show since I woke up early this morning when I realized we had Michael Thurman, Sam Olens, and Professor Amy Staggerwald all on the same panel today. That makes for really good uh, conversations. Uh, so let me just introduce each of them separately. Starting with the CEO of DeKalb County, Michael Thurman. How are you, Mike?
2: I'm great. Dude. I hope you're doing well, and thanks for the invitation.
1: Yeah, glad you're here. Uh, you're here with the with the person we love to pair you up with frequently, as you know. Sam Ohlins, uh former attorney general of the state of Georgia, former chair of the Cobb County Commission. And of course, the reason, Sam, we like to put you two together is you both, one, you're a Republican, Thurman's a Democrat, but you both have done years and years of public service in, in office. And so it's always a pleasure to have you here. How are you doing today, Sam?
3: Doing great, Bill. It's a pleasure to be on with, with Mike and Amy and, uh, I always thought you you put me with
1: Mike all the time just because we're two very rational, sharp people. <laughs> <laughs> well, you are indeed that. You do look. Let's be honest. You know, I don't say this a- enough anymore because I think people get it. We value respectful conversation among people who have ne- differing opinions on some issues. Some who are Republicans, some who are Democrats, and you two are a great example of that kind of smart, respectful conversation, and Professor Amy Steigerwalt, Professor of Political Science at Georgia State University, and a, I always get this wrong, assistant or associate department head uh, there, Amy.
0: For reasons I'm not sure I can explain, the formal title is associate chair.
1: Associate uh, Department yeah, very, uh, of Political I Science I have so much power. Director. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Well, I'm glad you're here today. Hey, I want let's start with some good news. We we there's so much new distressing news that we have to take on here. So Michael Thurman, I want to start with some good news about your county. Last weekend, you held a vaccine a vaccine drive and some 2100 people showed up to be vaccinated. Partly, I suppose, because you had a gift card giveaway, hundred dollar gift cards to people who took shots in the arm, and and one of the reasons I wanted to start with it is that it is good news, but also because the last time you were on the show, I had made the point that despite all of your best efforts and incentives, you still had a lagging vaccine rate. Obviously, last weekend was a big success, Mike.
2: Well, your criticism. Is- was a great motivator for me to get off the dust. (laughs) But no, it it all happened because we have a great partnership with the DeKalb Board of Health, uh, Dr. Valenciano, and actually Emory Nursing School sent volunteers as well as Madura Healthcare. And that's right, we had Chris Tucker uh, who came out as a spokesperson. We decided to move on from the debate and the controversy and just deal with the people who would actually respond positively. And consequently, we had over 2,000 people to show up.
1: Yeah, uh, Tucker, I didn't realize until I read the article that Chris Tucker was a Decab resident, grew up in Decab.
2: Yes, yeah, a proud graduate of Columbia High School, uh, an amazing yeah. uh, community servant. And it just shows something, that if uh, public policy makers really want to increase the vaccination rate, Let's end the debate and focus on the people who will respond positively to information, education, and convenience and incentives.
1: Okay, but one question. How do you do that? How do you, what do you do to get the focus on those people who are going to be open to the vaccination to vaccinations?
2: Well, first you have to reject the public narrative that says number one that people of color in particular Hesitant and will reject the shot. I'm sitting there looking at 2,000 cars uh, populated 80% by people of color. That was just a false narrative from day one, something propagated by the internet and unfortunately through some media. If you offer people convenience, uh, trusted messengers, a, a, a refined message,
1: and an incentive, you will see a change in behavior. Um, One last quick question that I want to bring in the rest of the panel. Where does the money for these gift cards come from? Is it counted? Do you have a a fund, a contingency fund of some sort? I assume you're using, or are they given to you? How does that work?
2: Uh, It's financed through the American Rescue Act that uh, Congress passed. Uh, President Biden encouraged all local jurisdictions to provide the $100 incentive. And I'll say this and stop. You have to weigh and some folks push back. Well, we don't want to spend money in that direction. The average cost of a to hospitalize a COVID patient in America is seventy three thousand dollars. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, invest a hundred dollars yeah. of get prepared or be prepared. Pay some seventy three thousand, especially when twenty percent of the people are uninsured.
1: Sam Oldins, um by way of contrast, um, I was looking at the Georgia Department of Public Health website this morning, and right now we are seeing Georgia, unfortunately, remains in the lower tier of states in terms of vaccinations. Only 55 percent have had even one dose uh, in the state, and only 48 percent are fully vaccinated. And what kind of um, brought this home in a in a in a different sort of way, Sam, is when I look at the map, the counties the, there are so few counties in the state that are over fifty percent. Cobb County, Fulton County, uh, DeKalb County, Fayette County, all over fifty uh, percent. Tolliver County, interestingly enough, and Oglethorpe County, over a little bit to the east of Metro, uh, have over fifty percent. Um, and then down in South uh, East Georgia, Calhoun County has over fifty percent, and and there are a couple up in the north. But it's just staggering how broad a geographic area, particularly in rural <laughs> Georgia, we have well under fifty percent, and in some cases, I think we're talking about as low as twenty and ten percent of the people vaccinated. Sam.
3: Well, I mean, clearly that's true, and clearly Georgia hasn't uh, had the numbers that uh, we need to uh, recover from this uh, pandemic. I think Michael, frankly, hit hit it with uh, his success. Those communities where the Board of Health and the governing boards are working hand-in-hand are going to be most successful and we're also seeing that many people that have been reluctant to get the shots will get them either at their local pharmacy or their family doctor, rather than those big parking lot locations. And I think for the next step, we really need to, to fine tune and uh, work on those family doctors and uh, pharmacists more.
1: Amy?
0: I would agree. I mean, it needs to be sort of a broad effort. Um, my mother made the comments the other day that I haven't had to even think about something like polio because everyone of her age got a polio vaccine, and it's just not an issue. Um, my child will never know what chickenpox are, and so same thing with measles, mumps, and rubella, right? We Vaccines work, and We need to find ways to be able to uh, address the fears that people have and also to combat the misconception that either COVID is not real or is not harmful to people and that, in fact, the vaccine is a much better option. Um, I think the other thing is that we actually need to make it much more clear to people that, number one, because for a while there, people remembered that it was very hard to get vaccines. It was very limited. There were long waits. You might not be able to get in. Now you can. They're available basically everywhere. And second, they're they're free. They're free. They're free. Did I mention they're free? No one has to pay. It does not matter if you have insurance, if you have good insurance. They're free. And I think that that's actually a really large misconception, because we know from polls that there's a number of people who haven't gotten it because they think that uh, they're going to have to pay out of pocket for it and that they're not sure that they can cover the cost.
1: So, okay, um, again, we congratulate uh, Michael Thurman. But now let's, as we talk about the lag of vaccine rates here in Georgia, uh, I want to talk a bit about where we stand with President Biden's uh, 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 uh speech a, a couple of months ago, a month or so ago now, in which he laid out the new policy and said any company with more than 100 employees will have to require vaccines for all of their employees. Uh, we still haven't seen rules for what that, how that works exactly, and it's led to some Uh, confusion and certainly spurred some of the uh, critics of the plan. Let me read you just the first couple of graphs of the Washington Post piece on this from from the day before yesterday. President Biden's planned vaccine requirement faces a number of tests in the coming weeks as at least two dozen Republican-controlled states prepare legal challenges, setting up a clash between the federal government and local officials that could ultimately determine the fate of the rule. The Labor Department has moved slowly in designing the rule, which White House officials said will require companies with 100 employees or more to institute mandatory vaccine or testing requirements. But Sam Ohlins, um they have moved awfully slowly on this, and they still haven't got the rules laid out yet. They are taking their authority uh, from uh, uh, th- saying uh, that... Um, uh, the, uh, th- that, that um, the federal government has always had the right to protect the safety and security, that OSHA has the right to protect the safety and security of employees of companies. But a lot of companies who say they like the idea of the vaccine are, are saying things like, who's going to pay for this? What exemptions will be allowed and what Sam, the longer they take to put this rule together, uh, the more problems it's likely to uh, face, yes?
3: Well, you just asked a question that could take the balance of the show. Um, So, look, uh, the president is taking advantage of this bully pulpit, knowing that once they issue the rules, the litigation will commence. There are a set of cases generally from the 20s and 30s, that being the 1920s and 30s, that relate to school systems, uh, et cetera, being able to require uh, the vaccines. There are also a set of cases at the uh, second half of the 20th century that appear to limit jurisdiction to more environmental illnesses than a pandemic. Uh, And I think there are some liberals that are very concerned that with the new Supreme Court, they may side on the environmental set of cases rather than the cases from the 20s and 30s of the last century. Uh, One thing that I I find concerning, uh, yesterday I was actually at a doctor's office, regular appointment, Michael gave me permission to go, and the doctor told me that they lost 5% of their staff when they mandated the vaccine. Um, And from the doctor's perspective, well, he didn't like losing 5% of his staff, he was happy it wasn't more. So I think the president giving him the benefit of the doubt is, frankly, trying to move the needle where it gets the most help in the short term, knowing that the litigation is not guaranteed.
1: Mike.
2: Well, I agree with uh, what the attorney general just uh, stated. Uh, this is uncharted legal territory uh, in terms of a federal mandate to private employers. Uh Obviously, I think the desire to get as many people vaccinated as possible is the right thing to do. Uh, But the Biden administration has to be careful uh, not to create a precedent that's going to have a negative consequence in other areas that uh, Sam just laid out. Uh, We have not uh, moved in that direction in DeKalb County. We're waiting to see the federal rules and regulations. And the reality is I can't afford to lose 5 or 10% of my police department or my fire department and keep the niggets safe here in DeKalb County. So I'm, <laughs> I'm conflicted, but the reality is that, and you reported about the rising homicide rate, can anyone afford to lose 10% of the police department right now uh, when we're fighting to maintain safety in our communities?
0: So one thing that I think is actually important, now, granted, they haven't released the final rule, so we don't know entirely what it's going to look like. But everything that they have said so far, which um, perhaps makes it be more (laughs) palatable, right, both to companies as well as to the courts, is that, yes, it says, right, either mandates vaccines or, and this or is super important, testing, So it is not, in fact, right, there is an option that if you don't want to mandate vaccines, you can instead have to do surveillance testing, which a lot of places are already doing. Now, that does perhaps has a cost to it, and I think that's probably partly what they're trying to work out Um, And one of the things that does help is that there have been a couple of new uh, rapid tests and at-home tests that are much more affordable that have been. So the fact that there is that option also, it's not just the mandate or it is a testing one under sort of OSHA's emergency rules about, quote, grave danger from new hazards, uh, likely makes it sort of a bit more palatable in that sense, especially if we're talking about the legal challenges that uh, Sam was referring to.
2: Yeah, I'd like to add to what the professor is saying, though, I think employers should exhaust all of the available resources to educate and inform uh, their employees about making the right decision. And that's the only caveat. Uh, Prior to any mandate, that should be, quote, mandates on employers and uh, public uh, leaders to provide as much as possible information, education, and counseling to help people make the right decision about for themselves, their families, and their communities.
1: Sam, you know, I was interested in, in reading uh, the news this week that Delta Airlines has not, is now an outlier. It's the only major carrier that now does not have a vaccine uh, for all employees uh, mandate. New employees do have to be vaccinated, <clears throat> I believe, in their policy. But at the same time, Delta took a very different approach, a creative approach, when they instituted, <coughs> excuse me, <clears throat> this a $200 added fee uh, t- to your monthly health insurance payments if you're not vaccinated. And it strikes me that's a real cause and effect kind of approach that maybe helps people understand the impact that not being vaccinated can have on your, on your health down the road. And as, as we talked about it a little bit earlier, Mike Thurman points out an average COVID patient at $73,000 plus of, uh, of care, Sam.
3: So there's, there's a lot of legal backup for what Delta did, you know, for instance, many, um, folks charge more if their employees smoke cigarettes. Mm -hmm. So there was a legal basis for that decision. And I presume Delta is retaining that initial position because they feel it's working for them uh, and putting more folks back uh, on the labor force. Um, And Delta, let's face it, Delta has a really long history of being very sharp. So I'm more than willing to give them the benefit of the doubt.
1: So, okay, let's move this conversation one step down the road. Amy, uh, I think there are now two dozen uh, Republican-controlled states with Republican AGs that are either already in the process of or are contemplating filing suit to block this federal uh, mandate. And and we've heard Governor Kemp the day right after President Biden made a speech announcing this. Uh, Governor Kemp was quick to criticize it, saying it's federal overreach. Um, People should be free to make their own decisions about vaccinations. And Chris Carr, too, the attorney general, has Mm -hmm. been critical of it. it, Unless I've missed something, I have not heard about definitive plans for Georgia to participate in the lawsuit. Maybe Sam and Mike have. But in the meantime, Amy, there's no question that uh, Georgia uh, Republicans are uh, really feeling like they need to push back on this.
0: Yes. Um, It's a continuation of the sort of issues that we've had really since the pandemic started that um, it has been sort of politicized and fallen along sort of traditional partisan lines in a Mm -hmm. way that we haven't seen, especially if we look at sort of past pandemics or or sort of past uh, national and even global uh, catastrophes that have faced us. And so that is continuing. And particularly, it is we're entering an election year. I mean, let's be perfectly blunt, right? We're entering election year, Georgia is in statewide elections. And so these are uh, issues that are continuing to motivate people and especially to motivate, uh, for example, primary voters, Um, And if you are trying to ensure that your base is going to turn out, that they're going to support you to be able to stave off a primary challenge, that means you have to pay more attention to those on the outer flanks of your party, whether that is liberal or conservative. Right. So we see this happening on on both sides. Um, And I think in Georgia, we're particularly seeing it in um, the Republican. And so, I mean, if as we go into the politics, right, I mean, Governor Kemp is, continues to be worried, not only about how he's going to do in the general election, but about preventing there being a formidable primary challenger. There hasn't been one, but he's still worried about it because there's still time to file.
1: Okay. So Sam Mullins, I want to, as the former attorney general of Georgia, you, I'd, I'd be interested in your take on this. Um, Certainly, there's partisan politics at play here. Everybody gets that. Mike Thurman just talked about making a vaccine drive successful by taking, trying to take the politics out of it. But, but Sam, is there, is there as you at times joined when you were AG joined other AGs in filing suits where you thought the federal government was was overstepping its bounds, where it was interfering with with states rights to deal with issues on their own is there a legal is there a point to be made about that here or is this pure partisan politics
3: so on the one hand the law isn't black and white so there is uh, clearly a potential decision two years from now by the u.S Supreme Court on the other hand this clearly is November 2022. Uh, there's no question it's November 2022. Uh, I, I frankly think the governor is in good shape vis-a-vis the uh, primary election but I think this uh, plays into independent voters as it relates to November 2022. Uh, I've never seen Vernon Jones candidly as a serious opponent and when Burt Jones entered the race for lieutenant governor I think that was a big uh, sigh of relief from many who think that Governor Kemp's, frankly, done a very good job.
1: So, but, but, but again, going to the legal question here, it is there a reason why why one of your successor, a Chris Carr, would believe that intervening in this case is not partisan politics but an effort to protect the state from federal overreach?
3: Yeah, I, I think there is. I think there there is a discussion uh, about how far the federal government can go. I, I think it's, it's frankly akin to the discussion that started this week uh, from the National School Board Association. Um, I personally don't want the FBI involved in uh, protection of local school board um, officials. Clearly, I support the First Amendment. Clearly, I I want everyone to be safe. But I'm thinking that the uh, law enforcement in DeKalb County can take care of the DeKalb County School Board and that we don't need federal officials in that space. And, And I do think our country, with a less partisan flame, does need to have a serious discussion about the federalization of crimes and federalization of enforcement because uh, frankly, the federal officials have more than enough on their plate with domestic terrorism, foreign threats, etc. Uh, but but I do think we're we're at a point in our country where, separate from partisanship alone, we do need to have a discussion about the demarcation between uh, federal and state authority.
1: Mike, jump in.
2: Well, I, I think history at some point in the future will judge the leaders of our state and many leaders across this country very harshly. I get it. I've been in politics like Sam for nearly 40 years. But when I know that close to 1,100 DeKalb County residents have been killed by a virus, I know that 12,000 Georgians and over, what, 700,000 Americans at some point, your next election is really just not that important. And so that's the problem we face. Uh, and that has been, I think, what has led to unnecessary death and pain and suffering. The, uh, people like myself, political leaders, have put the next election uh, ahead of what's most important for our state and literally the next generation. I'm helpful, to be quite honest with Bill, and—, and I look at it. I know too many people who have had too many family members who've lost loved ones, and I know that much is what being what is done and not done is calculated only as a political strategy to gain leverage for a, an electorate or for another election. It's so I got. I got unacceptable. Hmm.
1: I apologize. Uh, Sam, I got to get to a break, but I assume there's not much you disagree with, with what Mike Thurman just said.
3: No, I absolutely agree with Mike. I mean, at the end of the day, this is about saving lives. And elected officials in particular know a lot of people, and that means we know a lot of people who have died with COVID. And one death is too many. Uh, I don't get this liberty argument. Uh, I support the argument that we're supposed to take care of each other, Uh, and Mike is 100% correct.
1: All right, Um, let's get to our first break of the show. When we come back, uh, we've got another story to talk about that's data-driven, and that's uh, the report from CDC, which says that homicide rates across the country were up 30%. Between nineteen, I mean between twenty nineteen and twenty twenty, it's not just Metro Atlanta that's facing this problem. And I want to get the panel's thoughts on all that and more when we come back. You're listening to Political Rewind. GSU's Professor Amy Steigerwald. DeKalb County CEO Mike Thurman and former Georgia Attorney General Sam Olins join us on Political Rewind today. Um, so, uh, Michael, I want to come to you first on this, too, because you this is a problem that you have to deal with on a daily basis in your county as CEO. The uh, CDC released its report on uh, homicides uh, the other day, and they showed that homicide rates across the country rose thirty percent from the uh, from 2019 to 2020 in just one year. They say that that's the largest single increase uh, since uh, the years 2000 to 2001, where there was a 20 percent rise, which CDC says was largely attributed to the number of homicidal deaths. They were all count considered homicides. People who died in 9/11. Um, Mike, you deal with a, a homicide rate that you had just a very small increase. I think you had like four additional homicides over a period of the year. Nevertheless, you're quoted pretty extensively in this article in terms of why you think, which is in the AJC, is in terms of why you think this is happening. So talk to us about that.
2: Well, uh, thanks to uh, Mertha Ramos and Sherry Boston and Sheriff and all our law enforcement officials, in the state and and, uh, magistrate's court probation, we did, and I say this in quotes, experience a very slight increase, but let me just tell you, there's nothing to celebrate when you know that 129 people lost their lives to violence and primarily gun violence. We're not celebrating. It's a tragic reality that somehow we do better, but then I look at our neighbors in Atlanta and across the state and across the nation, uh, one of the things that's been most linked to me, uh, the HAC reported murder rate, homicide rate went up not just in the urban Georgia, but also in rural. Georgia. And we've had this strongly about uh, increasing homicides in Atlanta. some of the people in the legislature have fallen silent, cricket, when the reporting shows that it's not just Atlanta. With that being said, uh, we have to really. Um, Focus on the root causes, it is COVID-related to some extent, uh, but it's also poverty, lack of education, and just many ways uh, a disconnect, a tearing of the fabric in our community.
1: Uh, Mike, you're saying a lot of really important things here. We're having a little trouble with your uh, phone. It's a, it's a, it's. A, I'm not sure if there's a way you can oh. hold it differently or, or just move a little bit in the office so that we can continue to hear from you. Um, Sorry, Amy, yeah. uh, oh, that's fine. That's fine. We're, we'll take care of it the best we can. Amy, um, Mike points out that this homicide uh, spike has happened in rural parts of the state. I do think it's important to, though, say that GBI changed. We, they had more reporting because they mm-hmm. changed how crime figures are reported. And so while there may indeed have been more homicides in, in rural parts of the state— it also, at least in part, could be attributed to the new reporting methodology. I just want to make sure we uh, make that point. But, but, Amy, one of the things that Mike Thurman said in the uh, article in the AJC is um, one of the challenges the police departments are having right now is that they can't interact with the public like they used to. And Mike also said, hungry people do desperate things, and we know that food insecurity is a major issue right now. What do you think about his explanation of that?
0: I think both of those are are really good claims. I mean, there's a lot of things that go into this. Um, Number one, yes, right, we have lots of data that shows that community-oriented policing – Uh, that those types of efforts work really well when you're able to see when when, uh, officers are able to be within the community, right? So not in, you know, not carrying around an AK-47, but actually interacting with people that that can do a lot to diffuse issues and uh, settle down, right? There's also the fact that in many ways, right, uh, what we don't know, and it's going to be interesting to see the numbers, but some of the initial ones suggest, right, that, Um, People were in their houses more. Unfortunately, we know that there's a large connection between homicides and intimate partner violence, Um, and especially with people being home, more of these stresses, that's going into it. Um, And so there's some concern that the numbers might reflect that. Uh, There's also the fact that, yes, there is very much a connection, unfortunately, between uh, rates of crime, poverty rates, food insecurity, housing insecurity, et cetera, and all of those have been exacerbated during the pandemic. And so it's really sort of this huge confluence of events that kind of comes together. Um, the only other thing that I will say that I, it's one of those where any increase obviously is bad. And so I don't want to at all underplay that. I do want to note though, that the kind of emphasis on that jump, we are still well under the rates of crime that we used to have in the 1980s and 1990s, right? The, the numbers are still way less than that. And that's partly why these increases are reflecting such big jumps is because we have done a good job in bringing down the numbers of violent crime. And so that somewhat, but it's still, it is obviously concerning that we're seeing such big jumps, especially in a single year. So, yeah. Bill.
3: Uh, first, I think you've got to give a lot of credit to DeKalb County. Um, in a very trying time, while while the CEO is correct that one homicide is one too many, the minimal increase that they have seen this past year is very, very commendable, and that demonstrates that their police chief is doing a really nice job and probably improving the morale of the officers. Because we all know that when the public safety officials uh, feel that they are uh, a positive um, part of the government, they work harder and they seek to make more and more improvements. They don't look at their watch for when the end of their shift is. Um, And as Amy just stated, there's nothing that beats community policing. Community policing is something that's been around for decades and decades and we need to spend more and more energy in that place. I, I think one comment I'd like to make, which is um, based on the news this week, you know, the city of Atlanta uh, uh, approved a new position, this Office of uh, Violence Reduction, and I've looked at the nine initiatives that they're supposed to do. Candidly, they're the same initiatives that the DeKalb County Public Safety Department does. They're the same things that the Cobb County public safety department does while I commend the need to look in those areas I really like the model that DeCab and Cobb have in place already more number one I'm not sure why it should be with the mayor rather than the whole government and two you can't solve the problems in our society with another executive agency I really think it's supposed to be within the law enforcement spectrum um, and the way that Decad and Cobb does it, I think, is much more effective.
2: Mike? Uh, well, first of all, I want to thank Sam for the kind words for Chief Ramos, our DA Boston, uh, Sheriff Maddox, and so many other people. Our judges that Sam knows, being an attorney, is really the public safety system, the things that he did and invested in, and Cobb still paying dividends. But I want to say this because a disproportionate number of the victims and the perpetrators are young black men. You know, we talk about it, but let's just talk about it. And I read a book way back in my labor commissioner days by William Julius Wilson. It says, When Work Disappears. And one of his conclusions was that the crime rate for young black men with jobs is statistically no differentiation between that crime rate and the crime rate for young white men with jobs. There is a correlation between work and uh, legal work and reduced criminal activity. So what I'm getting at, Bill, if the job is so important long-term, we have to invest in our schools, our public schools, and to some extent our private schools, but disproportionately in the public schools. Uh, There, if you go into prison, you won't find a very high percentage of men and women locked up who actually graduated from high school. So if Georgia is serious, the governor, the legislature, our county commissioners and others, we have to invest resources, time, and energy in supporting our school districts around the state.
0: Mike is exactly right. Uh, The data is very clear on that one. Um, Now granted, I'm obviously in the public school system and very much would like it if we would uh, put more into that. But I think there's two sides to it. I think it's number one, it's education. It's also job training. Um, One of the things that we've done, and it's coming back a little bit, but for a period there, we got rid of all the vocational training. I mean, I remember at my high school, it used to be that you could pick a vocational track and you could graduate with a, a certificate or a degree in auto mechanics or plumbing or uh, estheticians, uh, estheticians, et cetera, right? And we got rid of that for reasons that I'll admit I'm not entirely sure of. And that, again, is a problem, right? I mean, not all jobs require a college education or advanced degrees, and that is just fine. Some do, some don't. They're, they're all worthy jobs. And we need to make sure that we are training people in those skills and helping find jobs. Because I think the other part that does go to what Mike is bringing up is that we are seeing low, un- relatively low unemployment rates, but they are still very much uh, bifurcated by race. Uh, the unemployment rate for Caucasians is much lower than that for Uh, particularly blacks, but also uh, Asian Americans, uh, Hispanics, et cetera. And so that is of concern, um, especially women of color. That's also another group. And so we need to make sure that we are addressing that and making sure that we've got both the education and the skills training.
1: So, Sam, I'm going to ask you a really naive question. Um, in, in, In every state, to the best of my knowledge, the attorney general is designated as the state's chief legal officer, Not every state gives the attorney general powers in terms of criminal matters. But to what extent can the attorney general's office be active in efforts to combat crime? Is that a a completely naive question?
3: No, it's a good question. But in Georgia, Georgia is not one of the states that gives the attorney general broad criminal jurisdiction. Uh, generally, the smaller the state, the more authority for the attorney general. Um, we, the, the attorney general's office is more active in the appellate structure than the trial structure. The opening here in the last couple of years has been with new uh, laws regarding gang activity. And that has uh, permitted the attorney general to be more involved uh, in that limited space. But as a, as a general statement, there's a bully pulpit more than a set of laws to uh, back it up.
1: Thank you for that. But, Mike, I asked that question to turn this discussion back to the politics of 2022. We know that Governor Kemp, Speaker Ralston, Attorney General Chris Carr are all running to some extent on a, a platform of combating crime in metro atlanta it's a big showcase issue for republicans in the year ahead um but when they talk about crime fighting they talk about more money for law enforcement uh they talk about measures kind of street level measures for fighting crime not the sort of remedies you just talked about a few minutes ago
2: well there is a crime problem in georgia in metro atlanta However, a serious strategy must be multifaceted. We need to continue to invest as we have in increasing salaries and training uh, for men and women in public safety and in law enforcement. But any, you talk to any police, chief, sheriff of any credibility and they'll tell you, you cannot arrest your way out of this crisis. There There is no positive outcome if that is your only strategy. You have to do both. Uh, you have to cut off the pipeline. And if we graduate more young men from, from high school and get them into a technical college, as uh, Amy was talking about, you will have less crime. And young black men are not predisposed to be criminals. So that tells me the proper strategy, proper investment can reduce criminal activity and criminal behavior.
1: Right, Amy, let me give you a quick a a response to that before I get to our break.
0: It's not even a response, to sort of adding on. I mean, this is, when I teach my classes on sort of civil liberties and especially doing Fourth Amendment rights, one of the things that I really want them to think through is the fact that our system is not set up for police to actually prevent crime, right? They're set up to be able to solve crimes and find the perpetrators after they've happened, right? You don't get to just randomly stop people and say, hey, you look suspicious, And so that means that if we really want to prevent crime, right, from not happening as opposed to catching who does it afterwards, we need to focus on things that are exactly what Mike was talking about that are at the front end, because the police don't have the ability to do that in the way that we kind of want them to.
1: Okay, let's get to our final break of the show, and we will be back in a moment with more on Political Rewind. Governor Kemp uh, was one of 10 Republican governors who visited the southern border and went down to Texas yesterday at the invitation of Governor Greg Abbott uh, to look at the border, get an idea of what's going on down there. Uh, it, it happened right after the Cobb County Republican Party voted to censure uh, Kemp for his failure to address the problems of undocumented immigrants in Georgia it, it may, you know, the question, of course, and I'm going to ask the panel in a minute about this, is really what can the governor do about immigration? Except Kemp is being held to a standard that he kind of set for himself, as many people will recall, was as we play for you just a portion of one of his campaign ads back in 2018.
3: I got a big truck just in case I need to round up criminal illegals and take them home myself. Yeah, I just said that. I'm Brian Kemp. If you want a politically incorrect conservative, that's me.
1: Well, Sam Olin, so the, your, your county uh, censures him, your, your Republican organization up there, because he hasn't gotten in that pickup truck and rounded him up the way he uh, needs to. What do you make of uh, of all of that?
3: So, first of all, it's not my political organization. I haven't yes, I been to it. any of their events in years. Please don't align me uh, with, with that activity. Um, I, 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 I refuse to be uh, anywhere close to that type of activity.
1: Um, that, that was an unfair statement. Um, no, no, I said you're a you know, county. I apologize. I wasn't just saying.
3: Look, that Look, there are many things, there there are many, you know, former President Trump wasn't 100% wrong. And President Biden is not 100% correct in every area. I think many of us can all agree that immigration this past year has been an abject abject failure. Um, The the, the folks crossing the border, the, the lack of viable systems in place. I think at the time that the governor uh, had that commercial, we had a very different system in place at the border. Um, and for, for many folks, I actually like to know who's crossing. I actually like for it to be orderly, um, and not for open borders, which seems to me to be, uh, not officially stated as the practice, but pretty darn close to the practice. At this point, um, I, I believe in, in immigrants being extremely valuable future citizens to our country in one of the many ways that our country is great. But, uh, but you have to have a system. And at the moment, uh, there, there doesn't really appear to be a system in place. I don't think there's a correlation to the recent decision by the Republican Party and the president's trip for you to have 10 governors flying out to Texas, uh, it wouldn't have happened that fast. That was pre-planned, um, And I think the, the, the Republicans, once again, looking to November 22, are seeing the president's immigration problems as a weakness that can potentially cost them seats in Congress. Um, you know, once again, similar to, to a comment Mike said earlier, um, government's supposed to be about protecting people. Um, and we don't to be doing really a good job of that uh at the moment as a general statement because we're too much into partisanship and not our citizens um so i, I have a real concern there. i would like to add a possible bill and i apologize with your last question to mike the speaker's making a really big issue of the need for mental illness reform mental health reform mm-hmm. and that should not be a partisan issue we all need to get behind that this legislative session Mm-hmm. really needs to seriously look at that. Similar to, to Mike and Amy's comments before about crime, mm-hmm. um, many of these folks that are responsible for 911 calls don't need a prison cell. They need mental health care. And our state and our country, um, frankly, don't do a good job with
1: that now, and we can do much better. Um Without diverting too much, I want to go back to immigration in a moment, but Mike, I, I do think it's worth picking up on what Sam just said. You know, last year, when Black Lives Matter became such a, a big, big movement, uh, some people went too far in talking about defunding the police. That obviously did not help uh, Democrats gain traction out there, uh, but— but many people really were saying, let's look at how we're using our resources and should those resources go as much to say mental health, jobs and that sort of thing as to actual uh, policing. And Sam just made that point, Mike.
2: Uh, he made an excellent point. And, you know, I joined Sam in uh, supporting and encouraging Speaker Ralston to continue uh, to transform and invest in the mental health services bill, you know, and I, I, I hesitate to talk about it, but I've had the heartbreaking uh, experience of sitting down with two mothers uh, who engaged our police officers in a violent confrontation. Their sons were having mental health episodes, and tragically, both of those young men died. And I sat yes. and I talked with the mothers, and, uh, and I had a brother. Uh, who was diagnosed as schizophrenic, and we had to call the policeman. But what Sam said, policemen are trained, and Amy said it too, to, they're law enforcement. They're not psychologists. They're not counselors. So we had to increase our funding in hiring nurses to go on those calls where people are having uh, mental health episodes. Because if you have a gun or a weapon, even if you're into a mental health crisis, that doesn't make the person any less dangerous, but all too often, it ends up in a tragic, tragic outcome. And whatever the state of Georgia can do, Governor Kemp, that $4 billion support Speaker Ralston and invest in not just getting people the help they need, but also in saving lives and reducing uh, a violent confrontations between policemen and uh, residents.
1: Thank you for uh, sharing those comments, Mike, you know, one of the things I thought of is, is not just the, the tragedy that the mothers that you're talking about experience, not the fact that you have a family member who's got, has had mental health problems. You also remind us of what a job, what kind of jobs uh, is, uh, people who run uh, a, a county government, uh, people who are attorney general of the state of Georgia or the, or the chair of the Cobb County Commission, as Sam Owens was, you all are where the rubber meets the road. And while partisan politics plays such an enormous role in how we fight and bicker, you, get, you see the human consequences as you just described. And I'm really grateful to you, Mike, for, I mean, it, fine, we change the subject. We can talk about immigration again on another time and occasion, but thank you for that, Mike. I appreciate it very much.
2: Uh, thank you, Bill. And, you know, and I've maintained friendships. I always had to mention Miss Phillips. She was the reason uh, her son was a Navy veteran and uh, with a weapon, he ended up losing his life. And we've invested huge amounts of money in, and training and try to help our people respond more appropriately uh, to these situations. And Sam knows this. The number one provider of mental health services in DeKalb County, your county, Bill, is the DeKalb County Jail. Sheriff Melanie Madison, the chief mental
1: health provider in our county. Um, Well, I want to thank you for adding that. uh, Those last remarks, uh, uh, Sam and Mike, to our conversation, taking us in a new direction. We are completely out of time for today's show. So much left on the table that we will pick up with on tomorrow. Amy Steigerwald. Sam Olin's Michael Thurman, thank you so much for a wonderful conversation, a meaningful conversation today. I'm out of time. I'll be back tomorrow. In the meantime, take care. Please stay healthy. Wear your mask when you're around people indoors. And either get a flu shot or, your, or get that and your first vaccine for COVID if you haven't had that one already. See you all tomorrow.